Alrighty, we got another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast, and I am pleased to be joined by Chris Mayer. He writes for Flyers Nitty as well as Dauber Prospects, and we brought him on to continue the playoff postmortem series that we've been doing for the NHL, and he's going to be an excellent resource. We're talking Flyers today, and I expect it to be heated because Flyers, it's, it's, it's always heated, isn't that right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it it definitely seems like that. Um, again, Steve, I, I, I thank you for uh, having me on. Hey, no problem. And, and you're doing well today, Chris. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Flying high. I'm always, uh, I'm always highly caffeinated in the morning. So here I am buzzing and uh, I'm ready to talk flyers. And I, I noted in the, our preamble that you had quite the room decked out with flyers memorabilia and you had the bright orange and it, it just reminded me of, in university, I my uh, my roommate we shared the basement together, and he was a huge Flyers fan, and we were constantly uh, taking in Flyers stuff, and and so it, it brought me back to that time. So I, I want to thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it it's funny because then I because the room itself used to be blue, <clears throat> and I never really kind of imagined it you know being like this but you know again it's it's kind of as the years have gone on more stuff's come in and uh we kind of just you know tried to figure out a place to put it and this is kind of where it's all uh i guess i guess come to fruition well you've got the man cave decked out well um before we talk flyers here i i think you're in a bit of a unique situation just in that you cover the lightning for dauber prospects and you just watched the Islanders against the Flyers in a long series. So I'm wondering, is there anything you kind of learned about the teams that are in this conference finals now that we can project forward to how teams should be building? Uh, I mean, like, to me, I I guess going into the playoffs themselves back in, I guess really March was when we were kind of thinking, well, you know, like, who are the Flyers going to play? That was kind of who I was already thinking about because um, they were pretty much the way they were playing. They were, they were, they were at least a lock for at least one or two in, in the Metropolitan Division. Um, and I said to myself, I said, the only team that I am, I, I guess the only two teams I was worried about were Tampa Bay and the Islanders, the only two teams. Um, as for Boston, I thought the Flyers could have beat Boston. And as for the Capitals, the Flyers, they played very well versus the Caps you know, the whole season. The Islanders were the only team the Flyers didn't beat in the Metropolitan Division all regular season. Um, and they had, they had one more game against them on March 24th. Um, but again, that was one of the teams that I didn't, really, I didn't really look forward to playing just because, you know, with the way that their style of play, obviously Barry Trotz, that's always something that you have to go up against. Um, and again... To me, I looked, I looked at that series, um, and I had either team winning in six or seven games. Um, with the length of it and, I guess, just the way that the Islanders play, it's, for majority of it, they capitalized on a lot of their opportunities in the first four games. Um, honestly, from games one to four and game seven, it was the Islanders' best game. Um, but as for game, games five and six, that was where the Flyers, you know, really showed up. So if anything, I think that you know, with the way that the Islanders played, they don't really give you any, they really don't give you anything. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Capitals struggled is because Caps, obviously a very good, you know, skilled finesse team, couldn't really get anything going because the Islanders kind of cleared up everything. Um, I think it took the Flyers. It, I think it was too little, too late for the Flyers because 
I think they kind of hurt themselves by not being able to adapt to the way they play. And I think the thing was with the Flyers is that once they played Montreal, they realized that, you know, and I realized myself that they weren't like this team was not equipped to play that way. And I think they would have honestly, if they had beat the Islanders, I think they would have had a better series versus Tampa the way that the Flyers play, because again, Tampa isn't as, you know, and obviously, you know, as well, they're not really as physical as a team like the Islanders or Montreal. So I think the Flyers going into it were kind of, to me, it seemed like that they were kind of at, at, at times versus New York, they ran out of gas because, you know, the way that they play, just the Flyers, they put themselves into really bad positions. I mean, they had so many turnovers. They killed on faceoffs majority of the series. But the one thing that I noticed with the Islanders was that it honestly didn't even matter what happened in the zone, whether they turned the puck over or just the Islanders got in on a clean entry. It was basically like they were on a power play the whole time. I mean, the Flyers were just getting – just owned in their own zone with, you know, and, and, and it's hard to cover guys like obviously Matt Barzal and things like that, but they could not have a consistent effort against those guys. I mean, it was like at times they had so many guys underperform, um, obviously with, with the, with the guys struggling to score goals. I mean, Travis Konechny doesn't get a goal the whole playoffs and they go one game away from the conference finals. Claude Giroux gets one goal. Um, I mean, to me, it's just, I think from what we saw in the round Robin, every game after that kind of consistently went down a little bit with the way that they played. And once they hit those physical teams, it didn't. Matchups is always a key thing for the playoffs and maybe not something that we necessarily think about as much, but it, it can completely change your outlook and perspective on whether a season was successful or not, depending on how far you go, just based on whether the matchups line up for you or not. There's, yeah, right. there's certainly a scenario where the Flyers would have had a different road to get to the second round, or maybe they don't even get there if the matchups don't break right, or maybe they go to the conference finals if the matchups do break right. But it really did strike me that this was a team that was outclassed by the Islanders for much of that series. And without Carter Hart, that's probably over yeah. much faster. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I to me, I think without Carter Hart, I think they would have been out versus Montreal. I mean, that's honestly like they didn't play good at all um, in that series. I mean, yeah, they shut down, but there's no reason why you're winning one nothing, two nothing games versus Montreal. I, I feel like a lot of what the Flyers went through was all self-inflicted wounds. Like I talked about it before, like they turn the puck over. If you go back and you watch some of these games and you look at these highlights and some of the goals that the Islanders score. It's turnovers in your own zone, turnovers behind the net. They, For some reason, every time they go to push the puck up, they want to reverse the puck back. It already doesn't help them because you're already stuck in your own zone, so why are you pushing it back even farther when you know your defenseman is going to struggle to get it out? Um, it was just lazy plays. They stopped moving in, their own, in, in the defensive zone. And I feel like whenever they got the line to, you know, to at least make a play, they would just dump it in, but nobody would forecheck because they'd be so tired once they get, once they dumped the puck in, they'd have to change because they were stuck in their own zone for so long. So it wasn't good for them. I think they, they got killed on matchups. I mean, for a lot of that series, uh, you know, Flyers had Nate Thompson had just about the, the same ice time as Claude Giroux. And, and that's saying something. Now, obviously, you went a game and a half there without having Couturier, um, your, your definite number one center. But regardless – um, I think matchups, Aleman Yo got outcoached. I mean, Flyers got outplayed. Uh, as I said, AV outcoached. And 
it just didn't build well for them. And, you know, they get three overtime wins. They battle in all the games. And honestly, I think their most consistent player was probably Kevin Hayes. Um, and, and, and he was even streaky at times. So to me, I think it's just like just the way that they play, it was kind of just self-inflicted wounds. And honestly, I think that and, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not you know blaming the layoff on this, but that definitely had something to to de- that that had some definitely you know to go into it because again they they were played so well they kind of you know once they went into the bubble they kind of fed off what they did in the regular season and then just didn't really you know keep up with them because they had to play two really physical teams every single team went through the uh, that whole pause so that's one thing as well you know and again I'm not blaming it on that but that definitely did have something to do with it because you had guys that struggled to get confidence I mean they weren't shooting the puck. And I think one thing that everybody looks at is the power play. And it was just, it, honestly, that power play is embarrassing. Like, it, to me, as a fan, I, I, I'm not even confident in it anymore. I mean, it had four, it had four goals when, I think, 0 for 11 versus the Islanders. Um, I think they had two versus Montreal. With that much skill and that much talent on both, ty- on both units, to me, there's no reason why you can't score. Honestly, I, I wish the Flyers would, would kind of run the power play like the Capitals do, whether they run everything through Ovechkin. I wish the Flyers would do that where they run everything through Claude Giroux because, again, Giroux has a very good shot, and obviously not as good as Ovechkin, but still a very good shot. And I think I think the problem is with the power play is that just the way that they, you know, move the puck in the zone, they – for some reason, whenever they whenever they had a power play and it was in the offensive zone, if they had the draw, they always lost the faceoff. They never won the faceoff, and they were never a good team really at all this season of getting the puck in the zone. And and once the once the pause hit, they, their power play was actually starting to get really better. Um, and then obviously it just stopped like that. But again, I think that was one of the biggest reasons why they struggled as well. Because honestly, if they get ten goals at you know ten goals added from that power play, it could be it could have been a completely different series. You touch on the power play, and I think that because there's there's such a structure and it's one of these great opportunities to get goals that are so scarce in the game of hockey that we focus a lot on it, but maybe too much because ultimately most of the game is played at five on five, and it just seemed like it was constantly uphill sledding for the Flyers at five on five against the Islanders, but you mentioned wanting to run things through Giroux. And I think that there's a few things that have fallen apart from what used to be one of the league's most consistent power plays with Giroux at full power. You could, you had so many options, right? Like he was very, he was very Kucherov-esque in that you could both get a shot or he could be, he was also your playmaking hub. So he offered so much variety and his shot has just degraded. He's, he's not willing to take it. It's, it's much slower. It's, right, just, it's not thing. what it used to be. And so now your power play can't, isn't nearly as dynamic as it once was when he was that elite guy. So I wonder if it's even possible to have that elite power play anymore with where his skill set is at. I, I still think it is personally. I mean, I mean, he still has it to be honest with you. Um, you know, as I said, I mean, obviously the shot is going to, going to be different, but there's a lot of things that's wrong with that power play. I mean, they've had the same setup since I think 2014, maybe. I mean, it's always been Giroux on the left side, um, Voracek on the right, and then you, you used to have Gossis were back there, and then you used to, and then you used to have Team in it. Um, and now now they have Ivan Provorov back there. There's really nobody in front of the net. They have a guy in James Van Riemsdyk, who's 
honestly, he's probably one of the one of the probably top ten guys in the league in front of the net, and they don't use him right. They don't even put him on the power play at times. Um, you know, you have a guy like Sean Couturier right there in, in the bumper, and you don't use him at all. Um, it just seems like that. It, and one thing that I noticed too that. If you watch just the way the Islanders are on the power play, they get shot after shot after shot, and the Flyers don't shoot. That's that's their problem. They don't shoot the puck at all. I mean, they. I think one of the biggest reasons why they struggled to score goals at times and 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 really continued was because they just wanted the perfect play, and that's not going to happen in the playoffs. So you know, again, it, it's it's that finesse game that they had where they had so many guys that, you know, could do this and do that, and they just didn't have them. Because one of the biggest questions going into the season was this team didn't have a legitimate goal scorer. Well, that all went away because they had so many guys fill in. I mean, Kevin Hayes with 23 goals. Nobody really expected that. Um, Travis Connecting gets 24 and makes the all-star game. I mean, they had so many guys that really contributed. And, you know, it, it just didn't happen for them because, again, they, didn't, they don't have that guy that can drive the offense for them and they don't have that you know that guy that can really change the momentum uh, in the game for them that you know it, it really hurts you in the playoffs yeah Giroux used to be that guy and I keep coming back to with the way that they want to get everything funneling towards the middle and the way that used to be such a great option for them when they had Wayne Simmons and Braden Shen filling right. those spots that JVR or whomever their net front guy happens to be on a given night. Yeah, usually it's Travis Konechny. Yeah, and so I think that Konechny is in that spot because the righty shot, so he's a better option down low, and they're trying to set, like, it, it just, the handedness works better for the manipulation on that power play, the way that they're set up. And I wonder if if they're going to be continuing forward with James Van Riemsdyk, and maybe we'll get to him later, but if they're going to continue forward with him, shifting the power play around and putting things on the opposite side, it, it would eliminate your one-timer option, but it would also, the reality is Giroud, like he's just not shooting and that's why everything right. in the middle and, is and I think getting taken away. That, yeah, exactly. And I think the one thing they did too is they, they, for the for majority of the season, they honestly tried switching it up. I mean, they had to rule on the right side and then they would put, you know, either Voracek or connecting on, on his usual side on the left side. Um, and, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily hate it, but I didn't like it because it, it, it took everything away from him then. I mean, the left side, I mean, he doesn't have a shot. He has a very tough angle for a pass, if anything. If he loses it, you know, he's, you know, just a righty on that side does not work when you have a left-handed point guy. So, again, it doesn't really bode well. And, again, they, at times it worked. Um, but again, once the pause hit, I mean, their power play was doing better. It wasn't great. It wasn't really great all season. Um, I think one of the things that they'd really struggle with is the zone entry. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I think they, they waste so much time in their own zone trying to get, you know, just cycling it back and, and trying to make the perfect pass to get in the zone when they can honestly jump it and get guys in and get two guys on and just, you know, try to win the battle. But, you know, to me, like, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, I honestly, I liked, I honestly liked Drew on the right side because it was something different than what it was in years prior. Cause again, the, you have the same power play setup for so long and, and, and another guy that we didn't even talk about who wasn't even in the lineup, who's obviously very good on the power play, Shane Goss bear. It to me, if you have that bad of a power play and you're not putting the guys on the ice that could help out your power play, especially the top unit, 
honestly, it's just it's just so aggravating as a fan because once they get the power play, it, it, you know, in, in I think it was game six, they had two power plays in overtime and they did absolutely nothing with it. I don't even think they had a shot on goal for, for the power plays. Um, it, it, it was terrible. To me, it's just so aggravating because I know it can be better. And I think there's a lot of things that they could change with it. It just needs to be more simplified. And I think that's something that they, they should definitely try to work on this offseason. So you touched on Goss and the defense overall. One of the biggest roster building lessons that I've taken from the teams that are still in it, you've got to have two dynamic defensemen that can drive their own pairing. And I think Provorov is one. I don't think he's as skilled offensively as you would like. He's not a guy that you want running your number one power play, but he's very good and he can be one of those guys, but they don't have that second guy. And I think once upon a time, Goss's bear was supposed to be that guy and and that's that's kind of fallen off. So my question is, where do they find that guy? To me, they had it. I think they had it in Matt Niskanen. And the thing was is that they had the, those, you know, the way Provorov and Niskanen played for majority of that whole season, they were outstanding for the whole year. But once they hit the playoffs, their play just dipped down from the regular season and they were atrocious. I mean, I think in, I believe it was game four, they were constant turnovers they had. In, in that game specifically, both goals um, were, you know, with the breakaway goal from Peugeot uh, and then the two-on-one, they were both from Niskanen pitching when he shouldn't have. Um, it was just simple things that they didn't do. And again, it's just self-inflicting wounds. But that pairing and, and just that pairing, they, they were bad. I mean, Sanheim and Myers, they looked okay versus Montreal. I thought they I thought that was probably Myers' best series, to be honest. Um, but Sanheim was absolutely atrocious versus the Islanders. I mean, it's so many turnovers. He was just doing, you know, stupid things. And I think one thing is that uh, you know, j- just the way that the defense was. It was just they waited way too long to move the puck up the ice. And, again, the Islanders, they're a quick forechecking team. And the Flyers just didn't have that, that you know, that, that fierceness in them to, to get it out quick and, and, and just, just to go. Because, again, they're, they're very quick on you. And I think one of the problems they had was that the Islanders' fourth line with Zizekas, Clarbuck, and Martin was all over them because they waited so long to get it out of the zone and it generated chances for New York. But, um yeah, I, 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 to me, I think once at a time, yes, they wanted to use Gosses Fair, um, and that would have been really nice because, again, he's a guy that you could really use, again, and that power play with him was just so good at the time, and he was really trending in the right way to be that defenseman. Um, but, again, you know, I, I think the one thing was with him is that he doesn't have – he does not have a single lick of confidence whatsoever. I mean, he is just – so confident shot, it's not even funny. And it, I think it really started to hit him. Uh, he had, you know, it, his year was in 15-16, really good year. Uh, and then in 16-17, he didn't have the greatest year. 17-18 in a better season. Um, you know, I think he had 65 points that year. And then 18-19, he didn't play that good. And then that's when a lot of trade rumors started to come around his name. And I think that's when he really started to take that to heart. Um, and again, he couldn't really find that confidence back. And then once 1920 came around, you know, he, he was injured a little bit. I mean, he only played a handful of games this season. Um, and then there was times where they brought him up when they shouldn't have, and he probably should have went down to Lehigh Valley for a conditioning stint um, and things like that. But I, I personally, I think it's I, I don't think it's fair to ghost now at all, um, because again, he's 27 years old. His cap, his his, his cap really isn't bad at 4.5 for the next three seasons. 
Um, again, I think he can still be that player if he gets a change of scenery because that, that could really be huge for him. Yeah, it completely reminds me of the Justin Schultz situation in Edmonton. Like, it's just reached a head where neither the team nor the player have confidence in each other. And it's just absolutely, like, you hit the nail on the head. It's a change of scenery type situation. And that's a roster spot slash salary spot that right. could really be a great place to upgrade because, right, exactly. they, because they, they again, do need so that second defense. Yeah. And yeah, they don't have the cap space. So how do they salvage the asset? I know Montreal has long been rumored as a destination. Well, I've, I mean, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to package him because if they, because I think, I I, I personally don't think the Flyers are going to be using that first pick this year. It's 23rd overall. Um, If anything, I think that they're, I would like to see them package it for a guy like maybe a Nikolai Ehlers um, something like that. I know Montreal's been rumored. I, I've heard Max Domi. I don't really know if I would if I would want Max Domi. I think they already have guys like Max Domi, um, just not with the, with the physical presence that he brings. Again, I don't really think that would be something that the Flyers need. Uh, and I I think I saw something the other day that he might be getting like a contract extension with them as well. Uh, but again, as for Goss Spare, I mean, I think he could go to a lot of teams. Um, I would personally like them to try to, as I said, package him. Um, if anything, I would like them to try for Matt Dumba from Minnesota because I heard that he was getting shopped around the other day. Not 100%, you know, not 100% if that's true or not. But if they were to, um, I would like him to get – try to package, you know, him for Dumba with that pick. Maybe you have to throw in, I guess, maybe another – probably one of their top defensemen, maybe a guy like Igor Zamula. Because, again, you know, Dumba, he's in the prime of his career. He's on a pretty good contract. And I think that's something that the Flyers need. I think they need another young right-handed defenseman that can really take the ropes behind some of these guys. Because then think about it. You still got Sanheim and Myers back there, obviously, Provorov. You still have Niskin, who can play your top four. You have guys like Robert Hag. And then you also have Mark Freeman, who's knocking on the door as well. And same with, with Igor Zamula as well. So they're pretty stacked there on defense. Um, and, you know, if they were to move uh, Ghost, I would like for them to package him. I don't know. And, and again, I don't know what that would be. Um, I'm just throwing a couple guys out there. But, again, I'd like them to try to package him in that pick uh, because, again, I don't really think it's many things that this team has to do to really, you know, turn it around. I don't think it's like a rebuild. I think it's just a couple roster, small roster changes, maybe, maybe a big move or two. Um, but that's probably it. See, I think that – they do need some kind like they don't need to change a, a whole bunch of things but mm-hmm. they do need to make a big addition because to yeah. me they don't they don't have that second guy that you can hand their own pairing to and you offer up the Matt Dumba option and as much as that's that's a big name and it's very intriguing uh, I don't think that you would necessarily be getting as much of an impact out of that as you would like he it seems to me very not that Provorov is a problem for the Flyers, but Provorov is closer to being a Darnell Nurse than he is to being a Victor Hedman. And I think that in that sense, it's he's very toolsy and you, you see all these things that allow him to make this impact. Um, but ultimately, like the, the final impact isn't as strong as maybe you would like. And I think that that's a very similar story with Dumba. Very good player, but are the tools and the attributes, they aren't adding up to something that's greater than the sum of its parts. I think they're adding up to something that's less than that. And I think that 
you're going out and adding a guy like Dumbo, you might not be getting as much of an upgrade as you would like. I mean, to be honest with you, I think I think Provorov's right there. I mean, I I I I mean, from watching him every single night, I mean, he was absolutely phenomenal in the regular season, um, and I he was good in the playoffs. Um, for for the most part, I thought he had a really solid playoffs, but it's kind of at times it, it was really inconsistent for him. But I really think he's close to being that guy um, for this team. And again, I mean, he gets he he's been getting over I believe like 22 minutes a night since his rookie season. I mean, he's been really getting. I mean, he gets played like he's a veteran defenseman, and and he's only I think 23 years old as of right now. But um, again, I mean, he is really turning into that guy for this team. And and to me, the thing is, is that the Flyers and, you know, the coaching staff, they trust him. So, and I trust him too. I mean, he's an unbelievable defenseman. He's he's a workhorse out there. And I, I think, I really think he is the guy that, that, that this team can really build on for the next, for, for years to come. And, and one thing is too, is that his contract that he gets paid right now for what he brings is, is a huge steal because again, for what he brings, it, it's just phenomenal. Is this a little bit of a, I don't know if Stockholm syndrome is the, um, <laughs> is the appropriate analogy, but I just, I wonder if it's not a case that there, there is no other guy. So by default, Provorov is that guy. And the ideal situation would be you get someone who's better and then suddenly Provorov is destroying in a secondary role. I just, he's part of the solution, not part of the problem, but I think that, when we talk about adding a another guy like Dumba, I think that it, the comparison there is very similar in that I, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between the reputation and the tools and everything that you're getting and, and at relative to what the overall actual impact is. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I mean, I'm, I'm not really like a hundred percent sure. I mean, I was kind of just throwing out like a name that maybe they could try to go, um, maybe try to go for um because again i think i think there's still a hole there that they need i think they need another young right-handed defenseman that could could really help them um i'm not really sure who that is um obviously with, with the market now there's a bunch of guys they could they could really go for um but again i think I, to me i think one of the really biggest problems is just not having that guy on offense that can that, that can just consistently put the puck in the net for you and 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 really drive a power play too. Um, again, I, I'd as I talked about Ehlers, I'd like them to try to go for him, um, but again, they'd probably have to throw something in there because obviously Ehlers is getting paid six million. Um, and as we talked about with the cap, their cap space isn't tight, and, and or, or it is tight, excuse me. Um, and and the way that that Ehlers is paid, obviously six million. Goss is being four point five. If you package him, that's not really you're you're not helping yourself with money there. So again, they'd probably have to throw something else in there, which I think they probably would have already had to anyways, because you're getting a high guy like Ehlers. Um, but again, I think there's a lot of things they can do. Um, but I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. For sure, the defense question stands out to me as a glaring hole, and. Like you, I don't know exactly how they fill it, what the correct answer is, mm -hmm. but it's it certainly, it strikes me as somewhere that they definitely need to upgrade if they want to take another step. And maybe it's internal. You mentioned they've got lots of talented young defensemen and yeah. maybe, maybe it's one of those guys steps up, 
and, but, and that's um, the thing. I, that, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm really leaning towards because again, I don't think it's not to me. It's not a dire need for defense um, because again, a lot of it was self-inflicted wounds. So I don't really think it is a dire need. I would like them to do it. That, if they can, sure, do it because it would really help them. But the thing is, is you need you know you need offense. Honestly, like that's what they need. They need another guy. Um, again, just drive the bus for them at times. And, you know, I'd like them to get a little bit stronger. I talked about this a little bit too. I'd like them to try to get a guy like Josh Anderson from Columbus. Um, he is a restricted free agent, so they have to uh, trade for the rights and then sign him. But, um, again, I'd like them to get stronger because, again, they don't have that guy, as I, as I said before, they don't have the guy that can change the momentum in a game. Um, and, you know, and, and as for Anderson, obviously, you know, he, he's a guy that can, you know, he can score goals. I mean, he had 27 goals last year with Columbus. Um, he was injured a lot this season. Uh, I think he only played 26 games. But regardless, um, I'd like them to get a little bit stronger because, again, they don't have that guy that can really drive the bus for them and be that physical guy that can, that, that can make a hit to, to get the bench going or things like that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that showed in their playoff run is they're not as physical as other teams. And you know, I look at a team last year like Tampa Bay that was a really obviously one of the you know the best team in the league, um, almost broke a, you know an NHL record for most wins, and they went out and they get some physical guys like Jack Bogosian, uh, and then they you know, they added um, they add Maroon as well. Um, and again, you know it, it, it's just little guys like that. I don't really think it would be a major thing to add those guys, and I think they they would be able to do it with some guys that you have that you really. I mean, the Flyers have guys that they can. You know, they have the pieces to move to get guys in here. Um, so that that's something well, but I, I really like to see them get stronger a little bit. Well, one of the things that Tampa Bay did in getting stronger went out at the deadline and they basically brought almost the entirety of their third line with Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman. And those guys are yeah. really cheap on the cap, but they right. spent the what amounts to three first round picks to rebuild that third line, but it gave them that element that they didn't have last season and now it seems like they they're unbeatable in the sense that those guys are so fantastic defensively and they can counterattack you and chip in with offense and it just it's brought them to this point where their top three lines are almost unimpeachable and then they've got two defensemen who can drive their own pairing and so that's why they're the stanley cup favorites so we talked about james van reemsdijk needing to get more out of him or more out of that salary slot slash roster slot because he's he's getting paid a bunch of money and he's getting healthy scratched and he's he's not playing in the situations where you can get the most out of him so is that a situation they can wriggle their way out of uh i i i think so yeah um to me i i wouldn't be surprised if he stays if anything, they they could package him as well, or maybe you know obviously trade. But he's a guy that I see going you know straight to Seattle if he's there. Um, again, he's not his his uh, his deal isn't going to be that bad. Once the expansion draft comes around, I think he'll have one year left uh, at seven million. But again, um, I think that could be a guy that could definitely go to Seattle. I don't know if they were to package him, but that definitely is something that that is another guy as well. Um, and it seems like Gosper and JVR are really the only two guys that they could maybe try to, to that that they honestly are the two guys that they don't really use right, um, and they don't use in, in the right in, in the right positions as well. So 
again, I think those are two guys um, that, that, that they could definitely try to move. Can I sell you on a, this is clearly a downgrade, but we save a little over a million in cap space, uh, JVR for James Neal trade. And I say that fully understanding that James Neal is persona non grata in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm not really sure if the Flyers will do that. I personally wouldn't. I think that's, I think that's honestly, I think that's probably downgrading because I don't know where James Neal fits here. Um, well, he fits I, on I, your fourth I, line, just like JVR is. No, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's I, I personally deal. think that if they're going to add to the fourth line, I think that's something they honestly need to add. They need a, a veteran fourth line center who can consistently play on the fourth line. That's something that they need. Well, I mean, Nate Thompson consistently plays on the fourth line, but I don't know. But <laughs> Thompson can't do that a full season, though. Like, Thompson is – to me, I, I personally like Thompson because – I think the thing is with him is that he gets played too much. And and and, and with guys like that who get played too much, it, it gives them more room to make mistakes. And that's what he did for majority of the playoffs. The more ice time he got, he didn't play too hot. Um, the Flyers are going to re-sign him. So I, I would like them to go out for a guy that can consistently play a fourth-line center role for them and just, you know, just, you know, eat up those kind of minutes with, with these other, with the young guys that they have. Because another thing you got to think about, too, is, is they could have Nolan Patrick coming back fully healthy next year. So that's another thing. And then you still have Oscar Limbaugh, um, obviously playing in those couple games, which is definitely good. He signed that contract extension. Uh, but again, um, you know, th- that's definitely something you have to put into perspective as well. So we touched on a few of my biggest questions for the Flyers this offseason. I'm wondering, are there any of, the biggest questions that you had for the team going forward? I, I think, I think honestly, to me, I think the biggest thing is, is Nolan Patrick. Uh, f- for me, at least um, I kind of touched on everything else. But, and the one thing I did, I, I, I just touched on it a little bit was Patrick. Um, I, I think that's one of their biggest holes. And, and I think it's just, to me, it's something that a lot of people forget is that they went, you know, one game out of the Eastern conference finals without a fully healthy uh, Oscar Lim and, and Nolan Patrick for the whole season. So again, um, you know, I, I I don't think as we talk about the holes that they need, I think those two guys would honestly fill those holes. Um, and you know, I, I think if they had those guys, they wouldn't have to get Nate Thompson or Derek Grant at the trade deadline. So again, that's something as well. Um, I'm hoping that these guys can come back fully healthy. Uh, but you know, as for Patrick, I think once he really starts to get into that groove, I definitely think he's going to be somebody that, that they can look to. I don't know if they can count on him. I don't know if that's the terminology because, again, you can't really count on a guy like that. Um, I guess kind of – I guess hope and pray is kind of something because, again, I think he's a very good player, but w- what he's dealing with is not something that you want to mess around with. So, again, I think if they, you know, they can take it really precautiously with him and, and play it smart, then I think it, it can really benefit for them. Yeah, that's been a complete nightmare situation because he was really trending towards being, if not their second line center, certainly their third, third line, line center. And if you've got those two guys who have, who have dealt with such awful health issues, if you've got those two guys driving a third line, that uh, that definitely changes the outlook. Now you're right. now you're more up with the big boys that are still playing who have those three lines that are rolling. I wonder. How many more runs can the Flyers get out of Giroux and Voracek before this turns into a Thornton Marlowe situation? 
Uh, I think they maybe got like three more years left at least, at least before their play starts to starts to dip. Um, I I, I think that you know I I love these guys, but everybody now talks about. I, I see all this on Twitter with Flyers fans, like how they should like they should move the core and everything. Like, I just don't understand why you would want to move a core after you just got to the second round for the first time in eight years. Um, not really sure why they do that because again, you have the pieces now. Um, and really the core is only three players and one was here maybe for three years at the time and then was traded for six and then came back. So again, it's two guys in Drew and Voracek. I get so aggravated when I see that stuff because to me, it's just irrelevant and I don't even pay attention to, to the people who say that stuff because to me, it's just idiotic. Um, I mean, these guys are, they're very good players. I don't think you can replace both of them with anybody. Um, I mean, if you look at Voracek, he's a he's a big guy who can skate, he's and and he's a playmaker and can stick handle too. I mean, that's one of his biggest things. Um, and and once he gets going, man, he is hard to stop. And again, he's a physical guy too. I mean, he's a guy that can drop the gloves when needed. Obviously, doesn't do it a, a, a lot. But again, um, to me, there's only and as I talked about that too, there's really only a handful of guys on this team that would drop the gloves, and Voracek is one of them. Um, but again, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's hard to replace a guy like Voracek and same with Drew. I mean, he's he's one of the, he's definitely a top 20 winger in the league. Um, and he, he really is, he's an unbelievable, I mean, both of them are unbelievable players, but I never understood, you know, the, the whole core comment, because again, the core is really only two guys at this point. You've had really two guys here for a majority of the time. And if you want to count Van Riemsdyk, you can, because he was here in 2011, 12. So again, I, you know, to me, I just, I just don't understand it. Yeah, I'm not talking about selling those guys off. I think you, you're you fairly committed and entrenched with those guys. Uh, right. It's just a question of how long until until they turn into pumpkins the way that uh, the Sharks guys right. ultimately faded. And if the Sharks are the comparable, then you've probably got a few more years of maybe not elite play, but certainly high-level play from them. Uh, Chris, I'm I'm wondering about the big boy pants shortage and was it was it just bubble related was there just like a lack of materials to make big boy pants in the bubble or now that they're outside of the bubble like are they are they able to find these is are they going to start investing in the textile industry i'm I'm just wondering the big boy pants come in a bunch of different colors what what should we expect um yeah i mean that you know that quote that it definitely fired that team up a little bit um because again to me i like i look at a guy like av and like he's a guy that obviously he, he's gonna call you out and that's what he does i mean he, he's done that with i mean jv basically basically been in in his doghouse for majority of the season um and again w- w- when you're not going i mean he's a guy that will tell you um again i i really don't know um i think that Again, obviously the pause had something to do with it. That's obviously huge. But again, everybody went through the pause, so that's you, you can't make that and you cannot make that an excuse. Um, and again, at, at at some point you have to play better and you have to you know drive drive the bus. And they did, but I think once they hit game seven, they just ran out of gas. Like that's what that was. Like they literally, you get two overtime wins, one in double overtime. And they just ran out of gas, and it, it's it's it, it, it's a real bummer because again, as they said, it was really self-inflicted wounds. Once if they're able to get into a 
obviously a, a some some form of normalcy obviously with you know if they play in the state in stadiums and and things like that um if they're not in a bubble i think that would probably be better be better for them but again it again they have to be better regardless of where they are so uh i, I th- there's obviously a lot of things that tie into it but i personally think that once they are able to play like they usually can then i think they'll, that they'll be fine and, and once they get that drive and that momentum um, because I talked about it before I, th- I said, I said it to myself and to my dad, um, you know, and that was just right before when the playoffs started that wh- whoever, whatever team gets momentum in this playoff and in, in these playoffs is just going to go really far. And I look at, that's what the Islanders have done. Same with Dallas. Um, I think those are two teams um, that have really gotten momentum and, and they've just, they've drove the bus and now they're in the conference finals. Yeah, I think that's, that's a tough thing to be relying on being able to get those. So I, I focus on these, these roster building lessons. I'm getting the vibe from you, Chris, that you think that the window is just starting to open for them, but uh, I'll let you speak for yourself. Do you think the window is open or closed for the Flyers? Oh, it, oh, it's open. I mean, it's open for the next like five, six years, hundred percent. And th- this season is such a, such a good a good start in the right direction where you know you get pretty far in the playoffs again it could have been better but um if you look at it you know this team is is not building is not like like, this team did not build to contend for one year they're contending to build for five for five or five or ten years so again i think you know it's it's definitely starting to open now um and again and, and this is the time i mean you have everything that's really just it's really gelling together well for them you have the young forwards you have the veterans you have the goaltending you have the defense it, it you know and you also have the coaching so really it is time for this flyers team you yeah, certainly this window is what hextall died to create right like he mm-hmm. he he fell on his sword to open up this window and bring in all this, this young talent. And he didn't push maybe as fast as, well, he obviously didn't push as fast as ownership would have liked. And now they're in a position where they can push. I would, uh, I would push back on you a little bit. I don't think that the defense is where it needs to be, but whether it's internal improvements or they go out shopping and find that number one or number two defenseman that can drive their own pairing the way that Provorov is driving his own, then they're in position. But until they do that, I think they're going to be coming up short and wondering why. But certainly they have tons of forward depth. Uh, hopefully it's healthy enough that it can actually drive things forward. And they've got a number one center in Couturier. They've got top line pieces that can score with anyone. They didn't in these playoffs, but so be it. And, and they've got the number one goaltender, which is impossible to find so they've got a lot to like but until they find that second defenseman I don't think their windows as open as we would like it to be yeah I mean I I definitely see your point there I mean that that definitely is something um but again I think I think they could really look to add internally uh instead because as I said I mean their def their their defense prospects are so stacked um and, and and that's the one thing they've built on for a while is their defense um, and then you know, I look at last year's draft when they draft Cam York, um, and that's another guy who is very close to being NHL ready, I think, personally. Um, and I think that's something that, that, that they could definitely use at some point as well. Yeah, it certainly seems like it's going to keep rolling. Now, you mentioned that they're probably – you don't think that they're going to use that uh, draft pick that they have in this first round. And certainly, 
now's the time to push if they can if they can find that uh, that defenseman and use right. the salary slots that are getting soaked up by players that they weren't really using to get there mm-hmm. then that that would be the ideal push uh, yeah. i don't know if that trade is out there but mm-hmm. if they game, i i think they'll be very active at the draft um and again i don't i don't know if they'll make a big move i think it's more i think honestly i think it's more needed on offense if they were to do anything um but again i i, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to trade that pick if they don't trade that pick, who are you eyeing up in that range? Uh, I'm looking for a forward, if anything. I don't know who, because, again, there's a lot of guys in this draft. Um, I, I do not know how to say his name. I know it, it starts with a K. He's a center. You, you definitely know who he is. Um, that's definitely one guy. Is it the uh, Russian? Yeah. Yeah. Murat Kuznetinov? Yeah, him, yeah. I, I, yeah. I apologize. I'm, I really struggle with that name. <laughs> um, you know, I'm looking at Seth Jarvis. Um, he's definitely one guy I'd like. Um, oh, my goodness. You're, you're speaking my language. Seth Jarvis is my favorite guy in this draft class who is not projected to go in the top 10. I think yeah. he should go in the top 10. I, I don't think I would draft a defenseman in this draft class. But I also yeah. think that there's going to be like three or four guys that go in the top 10, and yeah. they, they probably shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I'm looking at Noel Gundler, uh, and Jake Neighbors. Those are my my uh, my few guys that I would like the Flyers to definitely look at. They're you know winger centers, and I think that would, that's I think they I think the biggest thing is a forward in the first round, uh, definitely for sure. Okay, and I'm gonna ask you a lightning question here. Mm-hmm. They are facing a stiff cap crunch. They're probably going to be able to figure out a way to get all their RFAs under bridge contracts and they'll be perfectly fine. The machine keeps rolling. They seem to be the only team that actually sustains a six year window in this day and age. Whereas, like every other team, you get Winnipeg gets to be good for one season despite having a similar building model as what the Flyers have gone through. So, take that lesson that maybe your window isn't open as long as you think it is and, and push now. But um, I'm wondering they're, they're going to lose some talent and who's the next player that steps up for the lightning. Uh, I, to me, I'm personally looking at a guy like Carter Verhage. I mean, he's a guy that I've watched for a little bit within these playoffs and he's, he's played a little bit, um, but he's really that guy that I'm looking at that could really, you know, just come in and play really well for, for them in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, he's already getting minutes, so it makes sense that he would be the guy to step up. So, Chris, this was uh, this was pretty fantastic. Thank you for sharing your perspective on the Flyers and engaging in this postmortem with me. Um, do you have anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, so um, as for on YouTube, uh, I'm FlyersFanMania93. Uh, you can check that out there. I do a bunch of uh, Flyers stuff, and I do a lot of videos after games, and that's pretty much my thing. I do game recap videos, um, and I, I do a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, then, you know, I'm also the co-host on the Flyers podcast, uh, and then, as you said before, I'm writer for Flyers and Gritty, and then, obviously, uh, Tampa Bay for, for Dabra Prospects. I wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. And, again, I, I thank you for having me on today. All right, everyone, that is our show. We promised that it was going to be spicy because it was Philadelphia, and I really think that Chris came on and brought the heat. So thank you to him. Make sure you give him a follow at underscore Chris Mayer. That's Mayer, M-A-H-E-R, so you get the spelling correct. 
and you can find him at all of those places that he is doing some fantastic work. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and tune in to the next one. We're going to keep on rolling. Thank you, and we're out.